Welcome back to another exciting episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'm your host, Chappie, and in today's episode, we'll be getting into the legend and sightings of Bigfoot. All right, to start off with, why Bigfoot? Well, I recently received a bobblehead from my work that was Bigfoot. And in putting it on my desk at work and everything, I just realized, although I'd rather have a Wendigo bobblehead, this Bigfoot bobblehead intrigued me. I've never done a Bigfoot episode. So with that in mind, I went to the internet and scoured all the corners to see what kind of sightings and what kind of lore there is on Bigfoot. Although my personal opinion, you know, just off of not looking into it at all, would be that it's just an undiscovered ape living in North America. No way in context to the half-evolved human or anything like that or the missing link. Just an undiscovered primate. But with that being said, let's jump right into the lore. Alright, we start our first uh, article at bbc.com where they have an article, The True Origin of Sasquatch, by Lisa Cadane. Stories of a hairy, forest-dwelling, bipedal primate have persisted for centuries in British Columbia. But perhaps more important than whether it exists is what it symbolizes. From a lookout above Harrison River Valley in southwestern British Columbia, dense forest stretches all the way to the snow-capped coast mountains on the Pacific shore, thick with towering western red cedars, hemlock, and sitka spruce trees. The wilderness continues almost uninterrupted all the way north to Alaska. Beyond the roads and hiking trails, the terrain soon becomes impassable, punctuated by steep mountains that plunge into glacier-carved lakes. This remote valley, 130 kilometers east of Vancouver, conjures an ancient land filled with mystery and possibility, and some believe it's home to the world's most famous cryptid, Sasquatch, Canada's Bigfoot. I'd arrived at the viewpoint in an all-terrain vehicle with... Bima Gothier, who leads tours to spots in the region where sightings have been reported. I can't say for sure that they are real, he says. I I have a feeling that there has to be some truth behind it, and there's a lot of stories, especially here. We have a very rich mythology. There have been 37 notable Sasquatch sightings near the town of Harrison Hot Springs since 1900. Called Bigfoot in the United States and Yeti, or Metokongmi, wild man of the snows, in the Himalaya, Sasquatch is a tall, hairy, bipedal primate-like creature of disputed existence. Regular sightings have kept the popular legend alive, but now it's being told from an indigenous perspective. The change is driven by public interest in the idea of a Sasquatch rooted in spirituality and symbolism rather than sensationalism. The creature is considered sacred to the West Coast First Nations, particularly the Sihalis, Stahelis, Stahelis, who have lived in the Harrison River Valley for at least 10,000 years. 
To sate a growing curiosity, Harrison Hot Springs opened a Sasquatch Museum inside its visitor center in 2017 and worked with the Stahalis member Boyd Peters, who provided input on the original acquisitions, including a drum and replica wood mask of Sasquatch. Other displays explain the Stahalis belief in Sasquatch as a caretaker of the land and totem for their nation. A stylized image of Sasquatch is on a Stahalis flag. These exhibits are juxtaposed with casts of Sasquatch footprints, news clippings about sightings that date to 1884, and a logbook of reported local encounters. Since the museum opened, tourist numbers to the visitor center has doubled to 20,000 annually, and the resort community receives a Canada dollar of one million government one million dollar government grant to build an expanded museum and visitor center facility that will aim to balance the telling of western sightings accounts with the Stahelis stories and mythology it's slated to open in 2023 long before tv shows such as animal planet finding bigfoot sensationalized the pursuit of the creature the Stahelis passed down songs and stories about the Sasquatch, a supernatural stolicum or shapeshifter that protects the land and the people. In fact, Sasquatch is the anglicized version of Sasquets, which means hairy man in their dialect. The word comes from a mountain that's called Sasquets, Tell. The place where the Sasquatch gather, said Kelsey Charlie, a Stahelis band counselor and elected governance position. Everybody paid reverence and honor to the emblem of our nations, which is the Sasquatch. In 1929, J.W. Burns, a Canadian government agent, published an article in Maclean's magazine titled including B.C.'s Hairy Giants, which he wrote based on stories shared by the Stahelis community members he befriended. The article presented Sasquatch to the rest of Canada, and the tale took off from there. This intersection of Sasquatch as a symbolic totem and Sasquatch as a living primate has taken the story beyond mere speculation in Harrison Hot Springs. The town has become a magnet for those seeking answers. Like the 26% of Canadians that believe cryptids such as Sasquatch are definitely or probably real, according to an Angus Reid Institute public opinion poll from 2016, people literally come here on a pilgrimage, and more than you might think, said Robert Reyers, Executive Director of Tourism Harrison. In addition to visiting the Sasquatch Museum, visitors can take a Sasquatch tour with Gothier's company. Harrison Lake Nature Adventures, or walk the Sasquatch Trail and take selfies next to the Sasquatch statues. Every June, visitors can attend Sasquatch Days, which have been held since 1938. At the event, West Coast First Nations gather for canoe races, salmon barbecue, and Stahela's Sasquatch dances. Your first thought is, these visitors are going to be crazy, but they're not said Reyers. They're like ordinary people, and some of their stories are pretty compelling. 
The town also draws researchers such as Thomas Steenberg, who has written four books on the subject, including In Search of Giants, Bigfoot, Sasquatch Encounters, and has appeared as a guest speaker on the subject at events such as Alberta Culture Days. He insists he remains a healthy skeptic. I accept the possibility that the Sasquatch may turn out to be nothing more than mythology and folklore, and that alone makes it worth looking into, says Steenberg, who lives in a nearby city of Mission. If Sasquatch is real, Steenberg believes it's an unclassified primate, possibly Gigantopithecus blackie, an extinct ape from southern China that could have crossed the Berlin Land Bridge and remained concealed in North America's vast boreal forest. But the fact that no one has produced credible documentation of Sasquatch bothers him. Ultimately, the burden of proof lies in DNA. Science needs what science has always demanded, a body or a piece of body, said Steenberg, standing next to a display case of Sasquatch footprint cast in the Sasquatch Museum. My curiosity peaked. I went hiking in nearby Sasquatch Provincial Park. Under the dim green glow of the coastal rainforest, it's easy to see how some could mistake a mossy stump for a humanoid life form. It's a psychological effect called pareidolia, seeing an object where there is none, such as Jesus in a piece of toast. This phenomenon could explain the sightings, like the dark figure spotted close to a campground outhouse in 2010, or a purported Sasquatch that caused a group to flee another campground in 1994. It's comforting to pass these off as someone's overactive imagination, but these woods give Bonnie Kent pause. A former volunteer of the British Columbia Search and Rescue, she helped extract lost hikers from the bush for 15 years. Kent, now manager of the Sasquatch Museum, initially rolled her eyes about the creature, but after listening to stories from travelers who have come from as far away as New Zealand, she became open-minded about the possibility. My first response was that people around here used to smoke too much weed and see big hairy guys, she said with a laugh, before turning serious. Out in the bush, there are a number of times when your hair stands up. There are areas that you feel you're not supposed to be there. As Charlie explained, Stahelis tradition holds that the creature can change from its physical form to a rock, a tree, or any other animal. My grandpa used to say, the Stolicum is a shapeshifter and can walk on in the two realms, the spiritual and the physical. That's why you'll never catch him. But he's not surprised people are still trying. I think Sasquatch resonates because of all the cultures in the world had some thing like a supernatural being, that through time and evolution and humanness, we lost a lot of these things, said Charlie. Perhaps science has made us all skeptics. You don't want to have people looking at you in a certain way, Charlie explained. Then again, I thought... Zem, zem, squilewo, which in our language means you're proud of who you are where you come from, and what you belong to, so he shared his story. Ultimately, seeing Sasquatch is considered a blessing and a sign of good luck. Charlie's grandfather used to say, If you are able to see him, hear him, or see his footprints, there's some type of good fortune that's going to come your way. 
because he's making sure that you know that he's there and that you have to live by his rules. He's referring to the agreement between humans and Sasquets to live in harmony with nature. They live off the land. They live on the land. They are the land. Alright, it's a sentiment shared by Steinberg, and perhaps a place where Stahalis mythology and Western fascination come together. Sasquatch, if it exists, is a symbol that there's still wilderness out there, he said, and we haven't tamed everything. Alright, very cool article to get us started. Encounter Reports Database the North American Wood Ape Conservancy. Below is a public database of wood ape encounter reports, Sasquatch Bigfoot sightings. Witness account, this happened in Taney County, Missouri. I've been experiencing things since last summer as follows. It began with something throwing rocks at our RV. We were building a cabin and staying in our RV while building it. This went on for months, and then tapping on our windows began, along with throwing rocks and something rubbing against the RV. On the 6th of May, 2021, I was reading and tapping, and the tapping started on the window, where I sit in the living room area. Shortly after that, I got up to finish cleaning my dishes, and something that I believe could be a Bigfoot or something else began pulling on my doors, trying to open it. I stepped back from the sink and the growling began. I was so scared and it kept trying to open the door and growling. And then it growled again and I yelled, stop, but it kept growling. I then got on the phone and called my neighbor and then my husband. I'm now coming with my husband to his work and sitting in the car because I'm so afraid to be there alone. And my husband works the evening shift. My husband tries to understand, but most everything happens when he's gone to work. We've put up outside lights, and just yesterday we added cameras, but haven't seen anything yet. When the occurrence happened, the outside lights were already in place. There were no footprints or handprints. The sounds were growling and footsteps around the RV. Alright, this one is from Atoka County, Oklahoma. On the evening of May 7, 2016, NAWAC members Marvin Leeper and John Harrell were patrolling the backwoods of Atoka County, located in southeastern Oklahoma, to test Leeper's recent purchased dash camera. Both men are faculty members at Murray State College in Tishomingo, Oklahoma. Leeper is an English professor, and Harrell teaches biology. As the evening wore on, Leeper headed to the Canine-Tushka vicinity, in the area where approximately 40 years earlier, Leeper and a friend experienced a highly strange encounter that involved a possible wood ape chatter. The men arrived at the location of Leeper's previous encounter around midnight and proceeded to let the woods settle while scanning the area using infrared, thermal, and acoustic instrumentation. The men did not observe nor hear anything other than familiar animal activity. 30 minutes later, the duo decided to take a short walk down to a nearby creek to check for signs of wood ape activity. Approximately 25 yards from the truck, Harriel spotted a human-like footprint in the mud and immediately called attention to it. 
Leeper closely examined the print and determined it was likely made by a wood ape. Both men then noticed multiple footprints forming a trackway in a single file pattern coming from the creek, going towards a nearby fence. The trackway consisted of nine prints and was 28 feet in length. Seven of the prints were well-defined, with four exhibiting clear toe definition. The toe-to-heel distance between prints was 36 inches. The footprints were 12 inches long and 4.5 inches wide at the ball of the foot and 3.5 inches wide at the heel. The impressions did not appear to exhibit evidence of an arch, but the men believed they did show indication of a mid-tarsal break. The tracks had variable length based on soil softness ranging from approximately 0.25 inches to 3 inches. The men estimated that the tracks were probably less than 24 hours old, based on the appearance of minor cracks in the mud along the edges of the prints. Both men returned to the track site later in the middle of the day and made a plaster cast of one of the better defined tracks. The recovery of the cast was complicated by impending rain and appearance of a couple of teenage boys who were fishing the nearby creek. The men feared the setting cast could possibly be ruined by the teenagers, but to their credit, the cast was left undisturbed. The cast was later removed and allowed to cure. The cured and cleaned cast appeared to present dermal ridges and a mid-tarsal break, and three lesser toes are not clearly visible. The cast is in the possession of Leaper. In conclusion, what appears to be a significant trackway was discovered in an area known for wood ape activity. Preliminary analysis of the tracks suggests the tracks were possibly made by juvenile wood ape, based on the length and depth. Atoka County is rich with reported and unreported sightings of wood apes, and is will be the destination of future investigations by NAWAC members. This happened in Walker County, Texas. Husband and wife observe massive upright animal in Sam Houston National Forest. At approximately 5 a.m. on January 4, 2016, I was traveling to my work on FM 1375, headed back towards I-45. As I was approaching the river bridge, I saw a reflection of eyes from the bridge and thought it was deer eyes. As I got closer, the eyes were approximately 7 to 8 feet high. When I noticed the body of this thing, it was huge. I spent many years in the woods and I've never seen anything like this. When I first saw it, I thought it was a person or maybe a bear standing on its hind legs. But by its size alone, it was clear it was not a person. Three off-duty law enforcement officers have encountered while fishing on Old River Lake. We were crappie fishing in the lake by the Arkansas River. We were catching crappie in shallow water by the bank when we smelled a bad smell like body odor and saw him looking at us through the brush. He snort grunted like a hog and took off. We found a few fish remains where he stood, but the sand was not conducive to leaving a good print. All right, we go now to smithsonianmag.com, where they have an article, Why Do So Many People Still Want to Believe in Bigfoot? The Appeal of the Mythical Wild Man Holds Strong, by Ben Crayer. All right. 60 years ago this fall, Bigfoot first stepped into the public consciousness. Giant footprints puzzle residents. A headline in the Humboldt Times announced, the small North Carolina 
or Northern California newspaper reported that a road crew had discovered human-like footprints that were massive, 16 inches long. The paper was the first to give the mysterious animal that made the prints its memorable moniker, Bigfoot. And the creature has been stomping through American imagination ever since. Today, the legendary beast seems to be everywhere. You will find Bigfoot looking awfully cute this year in two children's films, The Son of Bigfoot and Smallfoot. Animal Planet recently aired the finale of its popular series, Finding Bigfoot, which lasted 11 seasons, despite never making good on the promise of its title. And the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization lists at least one report from every state, except Hawaii, over the past two decades. The most recent sighting, in June 2018, was a woman by, er, in Florida who reported a creature that looked like a large pile of soggy grass. Other evidence in the database includes supposed Bigfoot scat, nests, and noises. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, it may not make a sound, but it seems someone will report that a Bigfoot knocked it over. Interest in the existence of the creature is at an all-time high. The paleontologist Darren Nash has observed, even though there's nothing even close to compelling as goes the evidence. Of course, Bigfoot is not the first fabled humanoid to roam North America. Sasquatches long populated the mythologies of American Indian tribes in the Pacific Northwest, but those 1958 footprints transformed the myth into a media sensation. The tracks were planted near Bluff Creek in Northern California by a man named Ray Wallace, but his prank was not revealed until his death in 2002, when his children said it had just been a joke. By that point, more important evidence had entered into Bigfoot file. In 1970s, or 1967, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin filmed a sec few seconds of a hairy creature walking on two legs by the same Bluff Creek, the most famous and contested piece of Bigfoot evidence to this day. That Patterson-Gimlin film was created in the same place that Wallace had staged his hoax, in just one reason to doubt its authenticity. Skeptics say that the animal was a man in costume, while believers argue that the creature's movements and body proportions cannot possibly have been a human. The debate has been raging for half a century, which raises a question of its own. How is it that the evidence has not gotten any better despite the exponential increase in the quality and quantity of cameras? Says Benjamin Radford, a fellow researcher fellow with the Committee of Skeptical Inquiry. Still, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence either. While animals don't exactly mug for photos, the planet's ever-shrinking forest still regularly unpacks surprises, such as the soola, an untamed cousin of the cow that was discovered by scientists in Vietnam in 1992. But the soola did not have legions of amateur hunting it with cameras, with or without hard evidence, many people clearly want to believe in Bigfoot, which suggests we are dealing with more than human imagination, than human evolution. Nace has written the Bigfoot is the modern manifestation of a human-wide cultural concept, not a zoological reality. It has much in common with the Australian Yowie or the Himalayan Yeti, 
an upright posture, shaggy hair, and of course, large feet. As so-called wild men, they hold a crude mirror up to our own species. What might Homo sapiens be like if civilization had not removed it from nature? Factor Folklore Some people see the crypto-hominids as symbols of pure freedom, living by instinct and foiling every effort to pin them down. To search for Bigfoot in the forest is to taste that freedom. On the trail, you may, you become extra attuned to nature. The smell of scat, the sounds of breaking branches, the curious impressions in the dirt. As long as there are wild places in America, Bigfoot remains a possibility that, to its most ardent proponents, cannot be disproved. The hunt for Bigfoot emulates an earlier mode of discovery, when new knowledge was not the product of advanced degrees and expensive machinery, but rather curiosity, bravery, and patience, and survival. In the 19th century, the American landscape revealed its majesties to ordinary settlers pushing westward into territory unmapped by Europeans. To track Bigfoot today is to channel the frontier spirit, as well as to appropriate Native American traditions. Bigfoot also embodies the less romantic but no less enduring American traits, like gullibility and the hunger for attention. There are so many fake videos, says Lauren Coleman, the founder of the International Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine. The problem has grown worse with social media, where viral hoaxes like drone footage of a supposed Bigfoot in a clearing in Idaho can rack up millions of views. Coleman, for his part, believes there is evidence for Bigfoot's existence, but he and his like-minded peers find it difficult to focus attention on this material amid the growing number of obvious shams. Technology has ruined the old cryptozoology. His complaint echoes concerns in more mainstream American life, where technologies that promise to build consensus have in fact made the truth more difficult than ever to discern. On the internet, Bigfoot has found a habitat much more hospitable than the North American forests. It turns out that Bigfoot does not need to exist in order to live forever. The Iceman Cameth, the amazing story of an infamous frozen missing link from Minnesota that dodged scientists hot on its trail. November 1968. Showman Frank Hansen's exhibit, The Iceman, a Bigfoot-like creature encased in ice at the International Livestock Exposition in Chicago. This relic of the Ice Age, he claims, was found in the waters off Siberia. The news soon reached Ivan Sanderson of the Society for the Un Investigation of the Unexplained. December 1968, Reality Test. Sanderson and Bernard Hovenmans of the Royal Institute of Natural Sciences of Belgium examined the creature in the trailer in Minnesota. We considered this to be a genuine and unique example of the most priceless specimen, Sanderson writes to John Napier, director of primate biology at the Smithsonian. Winter 1969, is it the missing link? In scientific journal, Holmans declares he has discovered a new species of man, Homo pongoides. Napier decides to investigate. The Smithsonian feels they have an obligation not only to science, but to the general public to determine for themselves the significance of the specimen. Hansen won't let him see the body. 
April 1969, FBI to Smithsonian. Good luck. The Smithsonian appeals to FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover for help. Hoover declined, citing the absence of a violation of federal law within our investigative jurisdiction. Napier reports that U.S. Customs will look into it, and the body, after all, was supposedly imported. Meanwhile, Hansen puts a model of the specimen on display. May 1969. Hooray for Hollywood. Without access to the body, Napier studies photos and videos. The Smithsonian also calls Hollywood prop houses and finds one that admits it created the Iceman in 1967. The Smithsonian announces it is satisfied that the creature is simply a carnival exhibit made of latex, rubber, and hair. Today, the creature lives at Austin's Museum of the Weird. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We go now to outsidemagazineonline.com where they have a article, The 10 Most Convincing Bigfoot Sightings, right, by Lauren Kent. For decades, people around the world have been fascinated with the legends of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, or whatever you choose to call it. Sightings of a furry, upright, bipedal, and reports of beastie footprints have been reported from as far afield as the Himalayas. Although no definitive proof exists, the often questionable reports continue adding up. Outside plunged into the deep, dark corners of this subculture to compile the most famous, perhaps most convincing, Bigfoot photos ever captured. Here's the evidence. Is the Bigfoot real? You be the judge. Arguably the most famous and influential Bigfoot footage is the 1967 film shot by Patterson and Gimlin in Northern California. The Bigfoot walk it depicts is parodied by many, but never truly replicated. Even with this enhanced image, it's hard to tell if it's a person in a gorilla suit or the real deal, the Marble Mountain Bigfoot. A youth group was camping in the Marble Mountain Wilderness, California, when leader Jim Mills noticed a strange-looking creature skulking along a ridge nearby. He filmed it for several minutes, or nearly seven minutes, making the somewhat grainy footage the longest video of the alleged Bigfoot sighting. Eric Shipton's Snowy Bigfoot Yeti Footprint British explorer Eric Earl Shipton snapped this photo while trekking through the Himalayas in 1951, alleging that the footprint belonged to a Yeti. In 2014, Christie's Auction House in London capitalized on the worldwide interest in the Bigfoot and sold the original photo for nearly $5,000. Independence Day Bigfoot Called the Independence Day film, a beast was caught in remarkably clear video that shows an alleged adult Bigfoot walking through the woods, with a cub kid in tow. The filmmaker and exact location are unknown, and many skeptics claim 
There is a telling visible seam to the gorilla suit, the Provo Canyon Bigfoot. In October 2012, a group of siblings hiking in Provo Canyon thought they spotted a bear in the woods and started filming. When the creatures stood up on two legs, the hikers ran, abruptly ending the shaky video. A year later, the siblings launched a Kickstarter campaign to ex- investigate other Utah Bigfoot sightings. In 2007, hunter Rick Jacobs captured some of the most famous Bigfoot images to date with a camera mounted to a tree in Pennsylvania's Allegheny National Forest. His camera also captured clear photos of bear cubs, offering evidence that unidentified animal was not ursine. But skeptics believe the animal is just a bear with a sick mange. Johnstown Smelly Bigfoot Locals in Johnstown, Pennsylvania were baffled by a footprint measuring 17.75 inches found near a residential home in 1980. According to the Associated Press, the footprint coincided with reports of strange noises and a strong but unusual odor in the area. Washington's Blue Mountain Bigfoot Sighting In 1994, former U.S. Forest patrolman Paul Freeman claimed he saw a family of Bigfoots in Washington's Blue Mountains. The video is shaky and grainy, but has been deemed to be the real deal by so-styled Bigfoot experts. Mississippi Bigfoot Mississippi resident John Highcliffe captured the video of this potential Bigfoot while hunting on his property in 2013. Afraid to go back to the woods, he posted the footage on YouTube, asking for help to identify the animal, or for a prankster to come forward. Provo Bigfoot number 2 A hiker was walking through the Utah hills near Provo Canyon in 2012 when he spotted a large animal in the woods. As he approached, the animal stood up on two legs and started throwing rocks at him, supposedly a trademark behavior of Sasquatches. The military website, mil.com wa.gov The Legend of Bigfoot The legends of Bigfoot go back beyond recorded history and cover the world. In North America, and particularly the Northwest, you can hear the tales of seven-foot-tall hairy men stalking the woods, occasionally scaring campers, lumberjacks, hikers, and the like. Bigfoot is known by many titles with various different cultures. Although the name Bigfoot is generally attributed to the mountainous western region of North America, the common name Sasquatch comes from the Salish Sakits, while the Algonquin and north central region of the continent refer to a Wittico or Wendigo. Other nations tell of a large creature, much like a man, but imbued with special powers and characteristics. Though he Ojibwe of the Northern Plains believe the Rugaru appeared in the times of danger, and other nations agreed that the hairy apparition was a message of warning, telling man to change his ways. North American settlers started reporting sightings during the late 1800s and into the 1900s, with the occasional finding of footprints, sporadic encounters, and even a few grainy photos and videos, adding to the mystery. Those who claim to have seen Bigfoot have described everything from a large, upright ape to an actual hairy human, sometimes standing over 8 feet tall, and described as powerfully built. The debate and research continue. Entire organizations exist to study and document Bigfoot and prove its existence, and groups regularly search the Northwest woods, looking for the ultimate proof.
we go over to Syracuse.com where they have an article, Is Bigfoot Real? Sasquatch Sightings Rumored in Upstate New York by Joff Herbert. Whitehall, located in Washington County, north of Albany, has also had a large number of Sasquatch sightings that led to being dubbed the Bigfoot capital of the East Coast. In 1976, multiple witnesses, including police and a New York State trooper, say they saw a man-like beast standing over seven to eight feet tall, covered with hair, similar to the famous 1967 images captured by Patterson in California. A blurry photo from the White Hill Trail Cam in 2010 is among hundreds of reported Bigfoot sightings across the state. White Hill has its own Bigfoot event, the Sasquatch Calling Festival, with the competition of the best Bigfoot calls to attract the elusive animal. But Bigfoot has reportedly sighted many other places, including in Washington State in 2020, keeping hope alive for enthusiasts across the U.S. So is Sasquatch real? Experts call it a cryptid, an animal that cryptozoologists believe may exist in the wild, but may not be widely accepted in the scientific community. Other cryptids include the Yeti, or Abominable Snowman, the Chupacabra, or the Loch Ness Monster. Dr. Jeff Meldrum, a professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University, told WGRZ the data suggests Bigfoot live in habitats similar to black bear and not finding physical evidence such as bones doesn't mean a Sasquatch is any less real than other wildlife. To find a dead bear in the wild is unheard of. The same thing with a coyote or fox even. Because the environment has its own disposal system, Sasquatch researcher Stephen Coles told WGRZ. We go now to a news place, WTOC.com where they have Bigfoot sighting reported at South Carolina State Park, Beaufort County, South Carolina. One of the most recent Bigfoot sightings claims that some of the South Carolina low country. Three visitors to Huntington Island or Hunting Island State Park reported seeing an animal five to six feet tall walking upright, retreating to the brush from the road as they were leaving the lighthouse around noon, August 3rd. The trio was unable to take a picture, but did report the sighting to park staff and to the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. When they asked if the animal was possibly a deer or a bobcat, the visitors responded no. According to their report, the animal has legs that were pro- approximately three feet long, human-like jointed knee with dark brown splotchy black hair that was approximately two inches long. The report continues, we were all in a state of amazement as what, to what occurred, as it happened so quickly. We have enjoyed taking many vacations at the park throughout the years since we were children in the 1950s to present. While the area is abundant in wildlife, we have never witnessed anything like this in the past. The park superintendent informed the group he would take the report as a credible incident and initiate an investigation. While what exactly these three visitors saw in the state park will remain a mystery, it begs the question, do you believe? Bigfoot sighting reported in Western North Carolina. This comes from BlueRidgeOutdoors.com. All right, by Travis Hall. A group that claims to track the mythic ape known as Bigfoot through the hills and hollers of Western North Carolina says they finally spotted the creature over the weekend in McDowell County. According to the group, which operates a Facebook page called Bigfoot 911, 
with over a thousand members. The sighting occurred around 11 p.m. Friday night. John E. Bruner, who runs the page, said the creature made its presence known after he and fellow group members set up glow sticks at various locations in an apparent attempt to lure the Sasquatch in. The angle of the moon was shining straight down on the road, and something big stepped into view. I turned my headlight on, and I saw a large, bipedal animal covered in hair. It took only one step into the woods. Then, I took off running toward where it went into the woods. Bruner went on to state that he and fellow Bigfoot enthusiasts proceeded to track what they claimed was a large, bipedal ape, not recognized by modern science, through a dark forest. His description of the sighting can be seen below. Its face was solid black, with no hair on it. The hair looked shaggy all over its body. It turned and took five steps and was at the bottom of the hill, approximately 30 yards. I could see the glute gluteus maximus flexing with each step. By John E. Bruner. All right. Going over to News Nation now. These states have more credible Bigfoot sightings than others, according to Bigfoot investigators. By Michael Bartiromo. Yes, we know what that sounds, but bear with us. Bigfoot, a furry two-legged beast, long purported to roam the woods of North America, is largely believed to be a mythological creature, with sightings widely attributed to confusion or outright hoaxes. But there's a plenty, pretty big community of believers who claim they've seen one or are otherwise convinced of its existence despite a lack of conclusive evidence. The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, founded by Matt Moneymaker in the mid-1990s, includes 500 people who review reported Sasquatch sightings throughout North America. Moneymaker said the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization has received nearly 75,000 reports of Bigfoot sightings over the years, but only considers between 5,000 and 6,000 of those actually credible. A lot is based on the strength of the actual sighting, said Moneymaker, who also hosted Finding Bif Bigfoot on Animal Planet. He explained that the investigator favored reports from adult eyewitnesses and even folks who were skeptical of Sasquatches before their sighting, rather than, say, an amateur Bigfoot hunter who goes out with the intention of spotting one. They also don't consider secondhand accounts like those presented on podcasts in their official count. The investigators must speak with an eyewitness before they can determine whether a reported sighting makes the list. That said, they have recorded roughly 5,500 credible reports since the mid-90s, with sightings in every state aside from Hawaii. Of course, some places are more squatchy than others. These are the states with the most sightings since this organization began. Number one comes in Washington, Washington State, with 708 sightings. California, with 459, comes in a close second. Florida with 337, Ohio 318, Illinois 302, Oregon 257, Texas 253, Michigan 225, Missouri 166, and Georgia with 139. Certain other states, meanwhile, have a drastically fewer sightings. The states with the least 
according to this organization, include Hawaii with zero, Connecticut with five, Delaware with five, North Dakota with six. With the thousands of credible sightings across the U.S. alone, it would stand to reason that there should be more conclusive video evidence, or remains, or DNA, or even whole specimens, especially considering that wildlife researchers are still discovering and classifying thousands of new, often rare species each year, reported by the Smithsonian. To that, Moneymaker and the BFRO counter that Bigfoot's apparently being both nocturnal and intelligent, are difficult to photograph and very adept in thwarting attempts to capture. The F, the BFRO also claims there no remains of the modern Bigfoot has ever been cataloged because they will be exceedingly rare because these animals are rare to begin with and only a tiny fraction of the population will die in locations and soils that will preserve bones somehow, according to its website. Scientists, however, offer another explanation. Bigfoot likely isn't real. Since the mid-1970s, prominent paleontologists and primatologists have repeatedly reached the conclusion that a creature which fits the witness description of Bigfoot does not exist. Darren Nash, a British paleontology and self-described wannabe Bigfoot believer, has written in 2016 that the more evidence, which relies heavily on innumerable witness accounts, and even fur samples which have since been identified of deer origin by the FBI, are not enough to support its existence. Now we go to 10 Bigfoot sightings that made the news by Beth Braden. Of course, the Patterson-Gimlin film that we've already mentioned. The Strange Sounds in Kentucky. A Bigfoot sighting became a federal investigation when a man fired his weapon inside a national park in Kentucky. The backcountry camper at Mammoth Cave National Park in western Kentucky said a man approached him and mentioned he had some sort he heard some strange noises nearby. When the camper heard gunfire a few minutes later, it was the man shooting at a Bigfoot, and he said he stepped out from behind some trees. The first footprints photographed? Thrown logs. A pair of Bigfoot hunters were hot on the trail of a cryptid outside of Houston, Texas in 2015, but they soon realized the creature was unhappy with their presence. As they began their overnight hunt, the lead investigator realized that something was throwing full-sized logs at them from the tree line. The creature then ran away, according to reports. Right, footprint casts that we've already talked about. Eye contact. A driver in Midland County, Michigan was driving on a country road in 1997 when he saw a large hairy creature climb out of the ditch onto the side of the road. As the witness got closer to the beast, it made eye contact with him before disappearing into the trees. Traffic Cam Sighting A Washington Department of Transportation traffic camera near Sherman Pass purported to capture Bigfoot standing in the snow in January of 2020. Right, we've already talked about the Johnstown footprint. Slapping the Water In 2015, two men canoeing in Tampa, Florida swamp were expecting to see an alligator when they heard rustling on the bank. They soon realized the creatures they were watching was no alligator. The hairy beast appeared to be grabbing something out of the water before it walked away. Falling Bigfoot Hikers in Frisco, Colorado were taking a break when they saw something strange on the snow-covered mountains above them. At about 10,000 feet elevation, they watched a dark figure fall. The hikers immediately began hiking up to the place where they'd seen the fall but all that was found was a series of footprints and handprints in the snow.
All right. Probably the weirdest thing that I came across in my research would probably be this article. It comes from mormonr.org, and its claim to fame is the truth, but spicy. <laughs> All right. This article is called Cain and Bigfoot. Why do some people say that Cain is Bigfoot? Mostly because a passage in Spencer W. Kimball's book, Miracle of Forgiveness. The passage records an account claiming Apostle David W. Patton met a very large hairy man who identified himself as Cain during a mule ride. Although Kimball doesn't identify Cain as Bigfoot, this idea has become part of Mormon folklore. Why did Spencer W. Kimball put that story in Miracle of Forgiveness? It's unclear why Kimball included the story. It comes at the end of an account about Cain when he is talking about the consequences of sin and how people can sin against the light they have been given. It seems like David W. Patton account is just included because it is an interesting story about Cain and Cain was referencing in preceding part of the book. Is this account reliable? Not really. Kimball reprints a second-hand account written 65 years after the event supposedly happened. The earliest retelling of the Patton account is from an updated handwritten record from Horace Rawson. Alright, isn't this super weird? Yes. Are there other accounts of Kane Bigfoot sightings in church history? Yes, there are two other documented cases of church members encountering a Kane-like figure. One is an account by E. Wesley Smith, who purportedly encountered someone who had been, who may have been Cain. The other is from Horace Rawson, an early church member. He claimed to have met a very strange man in Nauvoo in 1847 that he could not identify, but said he fit the description, as said before, of Cain. How did the Mormon idea of Cain get associated with the existing myth of Bigfoot? That is unclear. Some secondary sources suggest that some connected the two in the latter half of the 20th century in the Mormon, cor Mormon Corridor region when members of the church tied Bigfoot sightings to the David Patton account. Is Cain really wandering the earth? Probably not. Different traditions have him dying in various contexts. Has the church ever made an official statement about Bigfoot or cryptozoology? The church has no official statement on Bigfoot. Several church leaders were reportedly open to the possibility of the Bear Lake monster. However, modern church leaders have never discussed the subject. All right. Very cool. I just thought that was weird that there was a religion that possibly had a Bigfoot sighting in it. I was like, Cain and Bigfoot? That's weird. All right. Let's go to rewild.org, where they have an article, Yeti and Bigfoot, Are They Real? A look at the dual legends of Yeti, the abominable snowman from the Himalayas, and Bigfoot, the Sasquatch from northwestern United States and Canada, by Russ Mittermeier. The legends of Yeti and Bigfoot have been around for decades, even centuries, and I remember my early exposure to the Yeti story following the first ascent to Mount Everest by Tenzing Norgay, 
and Sir Elman Hillary on May 29, 1953. I was almost four years old then, and as a budding primatologist, completely fascinated by the possibility that such a fantastic animal might exist. Norgay and Hillary saw and photographed huge footprints crossing a snowfield in the high Himalayas, which have actually been reported earlier in the 1951 reconnaissance expedition. But it was the Mount Everest expedition that truly brought it to the world's attention. And it created quite an international stir. Not to be outdone in the United States, we resurrected the ancient Northwest Native American legend of Sasquatch, baptizing it as Bigfoot, based on a plaster cast of a very large footprint taken in 1967 in Bluff Creek in Northern California. Interest in these two legends has waxed and waned over my lifetime, but it has always been kept alive by what are called cryptozoologists, people who avidly followed the stories of Loch Ness Monster in Scotland, the Mokil Membe in the Congo, and the Orang Pendic in Sumatra. I even know a Harvard-trained, world-class PhD ortho ornithologist who spent a good five years of his life trying to track down the legendary Mapingari in Brazil and neighboring Amazonian countries. These are the hardcore people who want so much to discover new and wonderful species unknown to science, and I certainly don't want to take anything away from them because I myself have long been interested in the discovery of a new species since the earliest days of my career. Indeed, I have discovered or been closely involved with the description of 21 species new to science and have eight more named after me, two lemurs from Madagascar, an Amazonian sake monkey, three frogs, and a lizard, and an ant. I have closely followed some of the great discoveries of species since the beginning of the 20th century. Among them, the okapi, also known as the zebra giraffe from the Congo, Discovered in 1901, but mentioned by various African explorer Henry Morton Stanley as early as 1890. The mountain gorilla from the Virungo volcanoes on the border between the Dominican Republic of Congo, Uganda, and Rwanda. The bonobo ape, again the Dominican Republic of Congo. The saola, the Asian unicorn from Indochina the Tapanuli orangutan from central Sumatra. We still have much to learn from our planet's biodiversity, and new species are being discovered by the hundreds every year, not to mention the search for lost species, in which an important theme for Rewind, and what better lost species could there be than the Yeti? That is, this recent upsurge in interest in both the Yeti and Bigfoot over the past couple years has been impressive and a little hard to explain other than perhaps attributing it to our never-ending quest for knowledge and our desire to explore new worlds. There are at least four different television series focused on Bigfoot, and not just in the Pacific Northwest, but all over the U.S. There have been a couple of very interesting programs exploring the legend of Yeti, one focused on Russia, Russian Yeti, the Killer Lives, one on Expedition Unknown by Josh Gates, search for the yeti and one in the himalayas of nepal and Tibet, in tibet hunt for the yeti the quality varies but a lot of times an investment has gone into them and yet 
And the recent Yeti program, Expedition Bigfoot, features my friend Dr. Maria Mayer on the Travel Channel, presented on very interesting results. Bear or ape? Back in 2005, I even did a program on the search for the Yeti in collaboration with television wildlife celebrity Jeff Corwin and with Disney and the Discovery Channel. This was stimulated by the Disney Animal Kingdom's new attraction entitled Expedition Everest, which featured the Yeti as its main character. I was at the time a member of the advisory board for the Animal Kingdom and was enlisted by them to participate in this program. We traveled to Nepal, in particular the Tingbok region, at an altitude of about 4,000 meters, and also to the Qinling Mountains in China's Xi'an province to film the spectacular golden monkeys, a very large primate that would in all likelihood coexist or have coexisted with the Yeti in some places. During this trip, we visited several monasteries to examine supposed Yeti relics and also interviewed monks and villagers to hear their stories. The results were fascinating. Although I was not impressed by the relics, one supposed scalp of a Yeti looked like it was made either of a domestic goat or a wild goral hare, and some of the bones looked more like bear than primate. However, some of the stories that were told were quite enlightening. Prior to embarking on this expedition, I read Meinhold Messner's book, The Quest for the Yeti, Confronting the Himalaya's Deepest Mystery. Messner is one of the greatest mountaineers in history. Having been the first to do a solo ascent of Mount Everest without oxygen, and having climbed all over the world's peaks above 8,000 meters, a very serious German who was not prone to hyperbole, I was more inclined to listen to what he had to say in contrast to many other supposed experts. Messner had one encounter with the Yeti on a dark night and was convinced it, that it was a bear. Indeed, he believes that the current legend of Yeti is based on a very rare Tibetan brown bear, or its very close relative, the Himalayan brown bear. Both of these huge animals are closely related to the Alaskan brown bear and grizzlies, but they are extremely rare in the Himalayas. In contrast to brown bears and grizzlies in Alaska, where they are still relatively abundant. Messner also floated the idea that the bear in question might have been a hybrid between a polar bear and a brown bear, which could account for its high level of aggression in many of the first-person accounts of encounters. However, research covered by Mark Evans in the program Hunt for the Yeti, which collected hair and bone samples from various sites and relics, did not find evidence of polar bear DNA. Indeed, all but one of the samples was the Tibetan brown bear, and one being the Asiatic black bear, which does not occur in the region, indicating that the relic was probably transported from somewhere else. I don't believe that you need a polar bear gene to account for the aggression in brown bears, since they can also be quite aggressive without the help from polar bears. One interview with Jeff Corwin and I conducted with the Tingbok area also linked the Yeti with the brown bear. We spoke at length with a woman who had been attacked by a Yeti. Her description coincided very well with other bear attacks. When we asked her if she knew what a bear was, she replied that she did not. However, like me, 
Messner also believes that the oral tradition of the Yeti is based on a real-life giant ape that existed in Asia between 2.6 million and 100,000 years ago, which means that it could easily have overlapped with early humans like Homo erectus in this part of the world. And it could have survived even longer and overlapped with the modern Homo sapiens. This is why the aptly named Gigantopithecus blackie that shared a common ancestor with the original orangutan about 10 to 12,000 million years ago. And was first discovered by the German-Dutch paleontologist G.H.R. von Cohenswald, who between 1935 and 1939 found enormous molar teeth being sold as dragon's teeth in, China, in Chinese drugstores. These amazing species was by far the largest primate that ever lived, dwarfing modern gorillas and reaching a height about 3 meters, 9.8 feet, and weighing about 440 to 660 pounds. Imagine the impression such an animal could have made on early humans and how it could have entered strongly in their oral traditions, easily giving rise to the legend of the giant ape-like being today, known as the Yeti, and various other local names. What's more, during our interviews with local people, one very serious monk in Tingbok told us that the Yeti moved on the ground and had long flowing red hair dragging along behind it. Sound familiar? Modern male orangutans, the largest arboreal animals, have very long red hair and regularly come down to the ground to move between trees since they are so heavy that sometimes they can't easily traverse between trees. Although today's orangutans are only found on the islands of Borneo and Sumatra, they were found on the mainland Asia up to the foothills of the Himalayas as recently as 10,000 years ago. They unquestionably overlapped with humans, so it's not too hard to imagine. Very early oral traditions of this combining with those based on the orangutan to yield a fantastic ape legend. Meanwhile, in North America, that explains to some extent, the possible origins of the legend of the Yeti in Asia. What about the very similar stories of a giant ape in the Pacific Northwest United States and Canada? There were no fossil remains of giant apes. One perfectly plausible explanation is the multi-generational legends of giant apes originating in Asia came with early humans that crossed the land bridge over what is now the Bering Strait some 12,000 years ago. Given that huge bears occurred in lower 48 and still are relatively abundant in Alaska and Canada, the Yeti legend could once again have been fortified by and hybridized with the primate origin of the Yeti legend. At that time, there still existed a very intimidating short-faced bear that certainly overlapped with early humans and disappeared less than 10,000 years ago. It is also worth noting that local people in many parts of Himalayas take the Yeti legend very seriously and continue to tell many stories about it. The country of Bhutan has even established a Yeti National Park to protect part of the legend's remaining natural habitat. That said, if these apes are now gone, the orangutans certainly are no longer on the Asian mainland, and people are regularly reporting sightings and encounters with Yetis, what is it that they are seeing? Skeptic or believer? 
I remain a skeptic about both the Yeti and Bigfoot, but I give the Yeti a better chance of being real. The terrain in the Himalayas is often so steep you can't walk more than a few steps because of having to crawl. The forests are very dense and could harbor a giant ape, as they continue to harbor tigers, lepers, taken, and other large animals to this present day. And of course, these animals must have been forest dwellers and not inhabitants of vast snowfields, with almost no fo food for a large plant-eating primate. If the footprints in the snow seen by Norgay and Hillary and others were in fact those of the Yeti, it must have been in transit between patches of forest, not permanently residing in the snow. What makes me most skeptical about the existence of either legend is that no recent remains of giant apes have been found. A large animal like this would certainly leave behind bones, teeth, and other body parts upon death, and these are more likely to persist in the higher altitude temperature forests than in tropical rainforest. Yet nothing has been found, and every hair sample that has been analyzed is either a bear, a wild ungulate, which is a hoofed mammal of some kind, or even a domestic animal. I would love to see just one bone clearly attributed to the large primate. I would immediately become a believer. That said, knowing what I do about so many unique and previously unknown species that have been found in my lifetime, how many more are still out there, I continue to believe that there is perhaps a chance we will finally discover a giant ape. I would give it less than a 1%, but not zero. And if I am not the one to do it, I would want to be one of the first to travel to see it with my own eyes. What an amazing tick a primate watcher's life list would be. But more importantly, the first thing that I would want to do is work with colleagues to create a plan for the survival of such a wonderful species. All of the current known subspecies of great apes, four different kinds of chimpanzees, the bonobo, four gorillas, and five orangutans, all are considered either endangered or critically endangered, and we have a major task ahead of us to ensure that they remain with us. A real-life Yeti or Bigfoot, or whatever we would want to call it, would certainly deserve as much, at least as much attention, and would almost certainly immediately enter into the critically endangered category. Let's not give up hope for finding these wonderful, perhaps fanciful, animal. Let's continue to vote the vast majority of our attention and resources to ensuring the survival of those that definitely still exist. All right, now we go over to an article, Bigfoot Spotted in the Hawking Hills. Hawking Hills, Ohio. Recently, we had the opportunity to sit down with Bea Mills, the founder and director of the Hawking Hills Bigfoot Festival. As an avid outdoor explorer and nature enthusiast, an Ohio certified volunteer naturalist, Bea is the perfect person to share her experiences with nature and Bigfoot in the Hawking Hills region. What is Bigfoot and local lore? Bea shares that what a Bigfoot is can be an open interpretation. Many believe that Bigfoot is a species and not so singular cryptid. Bigfoot can be seen as a spiritual being, an alien, supernatural, or even as an evasive and unknown mammal. While she holds firm to her belief that Bigfoot is a flesh-and-blood creature until the fateful day when one is recovered, what Bigfoot truly is is open to anyone 
to discover. The Hawking Hills has a rich history of Bigfoot sightings and Bigfoot seekers. Documentation of Bigfoot has been reported as far back as the late 1800s along the Ohio River and Marietta. In Hawking County, there are witnesses from the 1950s and 1960s of sightings along the Hawking and Fairfield County borders. One such witness in the 50s reported seeing something akin to a Bigfoot on their way to school. Witnesses from the 60s were raccoon hunters, and they reported seeing a large female Bigfoot covered in hair and with a baby on its back. Further, the Bigfoot seems to defy gravity by scaling a cliffside up to the flat surface on top. Nearby in Clear Creek, there is a lore of the Clear Creek monster. This was the same area as the raccoon hunters, and there have been numerous sightings, including at Camp Wyandotte in the 90s. One reason there seems to be a lot of activity, according to Bea, is that Hawking County is very rural and historically land was cheap. This increased the number of people out in the woods that have potential to witness a Bigfoot. Bigfoot enthusiasts firsthand encounters. Bea Mills did not always believe in the existence of something like Bigfoot. She was a skeptic, but has followed the motto, knowledge for the sake of knowledge, something a high school teacher had written on the chalkboard on the first day of class. As an outdoor enthusiast, she spends a lot of time out exploring the woods in the Hawking Hills State Park. One of her first encounters was actually in her home, where she heard vocalizations that she had not heard before. This prompted her to learn more about the lore and what these sightings and sounds could possibly be. This is the part of the story where Bigfoot field researchers come in. As a member, Bea works with other local researchers to conduct investigations of reported sightings and sounds. As an Ohio certified volunteer naturalist, Bea loves interacting with the folks that report because it is often a learning experience where she can teach them about the wildlife and animal sounds that are native to the area. Many times she reports, it's a time and opportunity to educate and get people excited about the outdoors. That said, she has had a few true Bigfoot encounters of her own. The encounter that turned Bea from a skeptic to a believer was on April 6, 2014, with a group of Bigfoot field researchers. The group had gathered in the evening, and the moon was shining bright enough that they could see without flashlights. Part of the group walked ahead on a trail that was dipped down near a creek and called on the radios to come down and stated, it's over there. The group stopped and listened to footsteps that were not human-like as they tried to figure out what direction it was coming from. At first, they expected to see a deer pop out of the woods in their line of sight. However, a figure starts walking towards them at about 25 yards away, looks at them. Bea drops her head in utter disbelief. By the time she looked back up, it was gone, and it sounded like an elephant crashing in the creek water nearby. The group had just witnessed and this and tried to radio to the rest of the party that the creature was headed their way, but all of the electronics were suddenly dead, despite being fully charged just moments before. While some sightings scare people, Bea said it didn't. It was just shocking. In her experience with Bigfoot field researchers, she has found that it is usually the human that runs and Bigfoot is calm. All right, very cool.
Very cool story. I think that goes along with like what another podcaster mentioned recently, but it was the uncanny valley where we're like something so near being a human that it makes us uncomfortable. I think it might have something to do with that. And as we all know, the paranormal usually drains power and batteries and stuff like that. So that kind of makes me lean towards it being something supernatural. The Uncanny Valley, of course, is something that's in our DNA that makes us uncomfortable when something's near human or acts human, but we know something is off about it. And it gives us that uncomfortable feeling. And I I thought of that whenever she said she looked down in utter disbelief, like she wanted to look away, that kind of thing, even though she was out there looking for it. So I don't know, just my thoughts on it. All right, let's hop over to another article. Live Science. 10 Most Active Bigfoot Sites in the U.S. All right. Three in 10 Americans believe Bigfoot is real, and every year hundreds or thousands of people search for the legendary humanoid in remote woodland areas. Each year, dozens of Bigfoot hunters claim to have caught glimpses of the creature in locations all across the United States. Arguments about the veracity of the sightings notwithstanding, here are the 10 locations where sightings have occurred most often since 1995. Pennsylvania. Number of sightings, 98. New York. Number of sightings, 101. Colorado, 110. Michigan, 141. Illinois, 176. Florida, 207. Ohio, 224. Oregon, 227, California, 425, and Washington, 528. Very cool. We hop over to Macomb Daily. It's a local news thing, but it says police field report of Bigfoot sightings in Shelby TWP. I guess that's township. Resident surveillance camera captures image resembling Sasquatch by Susan Smiley. Shelby Township Police received an unusual call Friday night from a resident reporting she had captured an image on her home surveillance camera that resembled Bigfoot. According to the Macomb County Scanner Facebook page, officers searched the area but did not find a Sasquatch or anything resembling the fabled large hairy ape-like creature. Shelby Township Police could not offer details on the search for the or the report Saturday because according to the dispatcher, all the officers were working with the Bigfoot sighting occurred were done with their shift and not available. The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, or the BFRO, which keeps coming up in various articles I'm reading today, reports that there have been no previous sightings in Macomb County, but that there have been more than 225 throughout Michigan, many in West Branch, which is known as a Bigfoot capital of Michigan. We go now to ChoctawCountry.com, where they have an article, Did You See That?, by Christian Chios. Bigfoot. Some say this creature is a figment of our imagination, a legend created by misidentifying an animal or naming a shadow. Other people wholeheartedly believe in the existence of an unidentified species throughout North America and possibly other locations around the world. According to the Big 
Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, sightings of Bigfoot in North America go back as far as 400 years. While the sightings happen in different locations and have slightly different descriptions, many of them claim to have the basic features. Bigfoot is almost always described as very tall, hairy creature resembling a primate walking on two feet. Another distinct feature is his big feet, which leave footprints often discovered in remote areas. The eastern part of Oklahoma is a hotbed for Bigfoot activity, especially in and around the Wachita Mountains and Ozark Natural, National Forest. While the majority of sightings in North America happen in the Pacific Northwest region of the United States, according to the BFRO, Oklahoma has over 100 reported sightings. The Wichita, or the Wachita, and Ozarks cross the Oklahoma border into Arkansas, and there have been over 100 sightings in the nat natural state as well. The Mid-American Bigfoot Research Center is an organization with the goal of providing Bigfoot's existence and to educate the public on Bigfoot, according to D.W. Lee, executive director and founder of the organization. It is turned into a global organization with members all over North America and even as far as Australia and New Zealand. Lee is an army veteran. <laughs> veteran. Lee is an army veteran and Cherokee tribal member who lives in Stillwell, Oklahoma. He says the majority of Bigfoot activity in Oklahoma takes place within the Choctaw and Cherokee nations. He attributes this to dense forest rivers and large under undeveloped parts of the areas. Every year in Stillwell, Oklahoma, the MABRC hosts the Bigfoot Symposium. This is a gathering of Bigfoot experts and enthusiasts alike. The event is an opportunity for people who might be interested in Bigfoot to learn more. It also provides the opportunity for researchers to share evidence and collaborate on investigation. The difficulty in researching a creature whose existence has yet to be proving is sifting through all the hoaxes, Lee explained. He said that the MABRC is focused on the science of Bigfoot and doesn't really focus on the sensational side of Bigfoot. We like to try to educate the public on the true information that's out there. You have so many TV shows that are putting garbage out there and nobody knows for sure what is real and what's not real. One thing is for sure, if you visit anywhere in the southeastern region of Oklahoma, you will see Bigfoot, at least on a sign or a souvenir shirt. Bigfoot has become part of the culture in places like Broken Bow, Hotchatown, and Hanobia. Hanobia's relationship with Bigfoot runs so deep, they hold one of the largest Bigfoot festivals in the, that part of the country. Every fall, people from all over the world gather to attend the Anobia Bigfoot Festival. Jolly Windsor is the president of the Hanobia Bigfoot Organization, the group responsible for organizing the annual Bigfoot Festival. There have been stories about Bigfoot in this area for many years, with numerous sightings and encounters. This area has had several researchers that have come to look and observe Bigfoot. We have had TV programs come and do shows here. We also have a group that conducts Bigfoot expeditions throughout the year. While some gather to share Bigfoot stories and research they have conducted, many people attend the festi festival for the novelty. 
With food, music, and vendors, there is something for everyone. The festival now attracts about 5,000 people every year, according to Windsor. While you're not guaranteed to actually see Bigfoot in the wild at the festival, you are sure to have a good time. Right. Diane Jordan is a local cabin owner. She holds a PhD in sociology and an online professor of sociology at the University of Texas. Jordan said that her family has been in the area for generations, and she remembers hearing stories about Bigfoot as long as she can remember. She bought her first cabin in Hotchatown in 1999. She said many people who have stayed in her properties report strange things around the area. We've had campers in the cabins all the time that talk about hearing noises and seeing strange things in the woods. Jordan says she has never seen Bigfoot, but believes he could be out there. Bigfoot is bigger, stronger, and more forest-wise than we are. The Choctaw Nation is full of difficult terrain. Bigfoot loves this area. Right? Talks about them selling souvenirs, Bigfoot shirts, stickers, pens, all that. Bunch of people growing up on the stories. Now to another news article. Bigfoot in Missouri. Documentary explores sightings near Mark Twain forest. Alright. Is Bigfoot lurking in the forest of Missouri? The answer is yes, according to the new documentary by Sasquatch Theory. The YouTube channel just released two new episodes focusing on sightings in Missouri. One of the episodes talks to four men who report sightings around Mark Twain Forest area. The documentary says Missouri is one of the top ten states for Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot. The man named Matt said he was never a Bigfoot believer. He says in 2018 he was driving when he saw movement in the woods. He thought it was going to be a deer, but it was much bigger. He said he saw something walk right across the road, and it was brown as a paper sack. He also said he saw it jump into a nearby ditch and noticed that its feet were jet black. He also says the creature had long black hair. Matt says he was dumbfounded. He also says he learned of other reported sightings in the area. Matt says he was part of the SEMO Bigfoot Encrypted Research Group out of Cape Gerardo. So was Bill, the second person interviewed in the documentary. Bill said he went camping in an area where he reported big, where there were reported Bigfoot sightings. He thought he would get a good night's sleep, but it was anything but. He said he was woke up at about 1.30 a.m. to a lot of noises, including owls. He said that he heard lots of huffing and puffing near his tent. Bill said he jumped and spun around and thought he saw Bigfoot. They will let you have the daytime. They don't want you there at night, said Bill in the documentary. He said he was afraid he wouldn't make it to his car without being attacked, so he grabbed his loaded forty-five and shot towards the creature. Bill says that was a mistake because it was so loud it stirred up the woods. He said he realized maybe other creatures were angry because they thought he shot one of their own. Another Sasquatch Theory episode released earlier this month took a tour with a member of SEMO Bigfoot Group. That member showed the documentary maker around an area where there were some Bigfoot tracks that he says would normally be seen with the naked eye without proper tracking abilities. All right, so we go to app.com where they have an article, Bigfoot in New Jersey, seven dozen Sasquatch sightings across the Garden State by Suzanne Cervenka. 
Osmond and wife just finished walking their dog in the Pine Barrens on April 7th when the wife spotted a tall, lanky brown creature dash on two legs behind their car. Could it be? Dramatic pause. Bigfoot? Who knows for sure, but their detailed description was deemed credible enough to be listed among the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization database of Sasquatch sightings. BFRO, which describes itself as the only scientific research organization exploring the Bigfoot Sasquatch mystery, was founded in 1995 to suss out the existence of Bigfoot species. The ratings come from BFRO's database. Their experts deem Class A as clear sightings in circumstances where misinterpretation of other animals can be ruled out with greater confidence. Class B are sightings at greater distances, poorer lighting, and situations where witnesses dip don't get a clear view. Camden County, one sighting, March 2016, location near Atco. Details, mother and daughter reported hearing, screaming, howling coming from the forest near their home. The noises were described as something sounding angry, guttural, extremely loud, and lasting for 30 to 60 seconds. The mother and daughter also reported seeing Bigfoot cross the road prior the prior August. It was described as about seven feet tall with a muscular build and a five to six foot stride with brownish black matted fur. Rating, of course, a class A. Mercer County, spring 1977. Location on a trail near John A. Roebling Park near Bordentown. It's also a Class A. A man recalled seeing Bigfoot as a young boy on his way to go fishing at about 5 or 6 p.m. The creature was about 6 to 7 feet tall with dark brown to black fur. It crossed the trail about 50 yards in front of him and his friend, pausing for a moment to look at them. Monmouth County, August 1966, Alaire State Park. A man recalled seeing Bigfoot 40 years earlier as a teen when he was out driving with three of his friends. The group of boys was out at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. when they heard a high-pitched scream directed at them. As they turned on the road, they saw a reddish-brown creature towering in front of their car. He estimates it to be about seven feet tall. They also noticed a musty smell in the air. Rating was Class A. Summer of 1976, 77, and 78. Location? between Mindham and Bernardsville. A husband and wife were driving home from visiting family when a creature on two feet walked in front of their car, turning its head to look at the couple as it passed. They estimated it to be about six feet tall in a hunched position, about two to 250 pounds and covered in straight brown hair, except for its face. Class A. Hunterton County, two sightings, August 2007 in Flemington, a couple of outdoorsmen heard vocalizations at about midnight while out fishing, Round Valley Reservoir. One of the outdoorsmen said the noise did not sound like a coyote, but the Ohio howl, a moaning howl sound caught on a recording that is attributed to Sasquatch. This is a Class B rating. Middlesex County, two sightings, July of 2000, Route 535 in Cranberry. A family was driving home from fireworks when the parents heard shrieking as they passed a wooded area. Unable to determine what caused the sound, the family turned around and again heard the shrieking sound. 
A month later, the parents returned to the area and spotted a depression in the ground that appeared to look like a footprint. It was measured 15 inches long, 7 inches wide at the ball of the foot, and 4 inches at the heel. They also noticed a passing skunky smell. This is also a Class B. Salem County, two sightings. December 2012, Woodstown. A man was driving home with his girlfriend from his girlfriend's house when he noticed something reflective on the, by a telephone pole. As he got closer, he realized the reflectors were eyes on a figure, about seven and a half to eight feet tall, that ran into the woods. He stopped his truck and heard grunting, a screech, and a grunt in the woods. The creature was dark brown to black matted hair with long arms, hands, and feet. He also saw a dead deer in the adjacent field. Rating, Class A. All right. And I think that kind of covers the kind of stories and stuff that this research group kind of puts together and investigates. All right. And I felt like no... Uh, episode on Bigfoot would be complete if we don't also include some of the Yeti sightings that are mentioned as well. So with that, I'm going over to GrahamHoyland.com where they have an article by Graham Hoyland, Top 10 Yeti and Abominable Snowman Sightings. In the course of 30 or so trips to the Himalayas, I've heard many tales about the Yeti from Sherpas, and they were clearly believers. There are very similar stories to local villagers all along the Himalayas and the Arunakal Pradesh to Lank. And even the names change, they seem to be talking about three kinds of yetis. They all range in size and environment. The first and largest is the terrifying Dzute, who stands eight feet tall when he is on his back legs. However, he prefers to walk on all fours. He can kill a yak with one swipe of his claws. The other, there is the smaller Kuthe, or Thelma, a little reddish-colored child-sized creature who walks on two legs and has long arms. He is seen in the forests of Sikkim and Nepal. Then there is the Mete, who is most like a man and has orangey-red fur all over his body. He attacks humans and is the one most often depicted on monastery wall paintings. Yete, or Yeti, is a mutation of his name. He looks most like the Tintin in the Tibet Yeti. Alright. Below are the top 10 sightings, some from my personal experience. Sighting number 1, Sonem Hisha Sherpa, Nepal, 1960s. Some of the Sherpas I climbed with had stories about family yaks being attacked and the yak herders terrorized by a creature that sounds like an enormous zute. In 1986, in Namk Bazaar, the capital of the Sherpa Kumbu region, I met Sanam Hisha Sherpa. 20 years previously, he had been grazing with his, grazing his yak cow crosses the Zo, high on a pasture. During the night, he heard loud whistling and bellowing while he cowered in fright in a cave with his companions. They were sure they were going to be killed by the Zute after it finished with their livestock. In the morning, Sonam and his men found two Zo had been killed and eaten. 
There was no meat or bones remaining, only blood, dung, and intestines. Sighting number two, Brian Houghton, Hogston, Nepal, 1830s. The earliest Western account of a wild man in the Himalayas dates from 1832 and is given by Brian Houghton Hogston, the court of Nepal's first British resident. The first Englishman permitted to visit this forbidden land. Hogston had to contend with the hotbed that was and still is Nepalese politics. He was particularly interested in the natural history and ethnography of the region, so his report carries some weight. He recorded that his native hunters have been frightened by a wild man. Religion has introduced the Bandar monkey into the central region, where it seems to flourish. Half domesticated in the neighborhood temples. In the populous valley of Nepal proper, this is still the case. My shooters were once alarmed in the Kadkar by the apparition of a wild man, possibly an orang, but I doubt their accuracy. They mistook the creature for a cocoa demon or rakshas, which are demons, and fled from it instead of shooting it. It moved, they said, erectly, and was covered in long dark hair and has no tail. Sighting number three, Pliny the Elder, circa 300 BC, India. Alexander the Great set out to conquer Persia and India in 326 BC, penetrating nearly as far as Kashmir. He heard about strange wild men of the snows, who were described as something like satyrs, a lustful Greek god with the body of a man, but the horns and legs and feet of an animal. Alexander demanded to have one of them brought to him, but the local villagers said the creature could not survive the low altitude. Later, Pliny the Elder wrote in his Naturalist Historia, In the land of satyrs, in the mountains that lie to the east of India, live creatures that are extremely swift, as they can run on both four feet and on two. They have bodies like men, but because of their speed, they can only be caught when they are ill or old. Sighting number four. Major Lawrence Waddell, Northern India, circa 1889. The first sighting of Yeti footprints by a Westerner was made by an English soldier and explorer, Major Lawrence Waddell. He was a professor of Tibetan culture and chemistry professor, a surgeon and archaeologist, and has roamed Tibet in disguise. He is thought by some to be the real-life precursor of the film character Indiana Jones. One of his theories include a belief that the beginning of all civilization dated to the Aryan Sumerians, who were blonde Nordics with blue eyes. These theories were later picked up by the German Nazis and led to their expedition to Tibet in 1938-39. While exploring in northeast Sikkim in 1889, Waddell's party came across a large set of footprints which his servants said were made by the Yeti, a beast that was highly dangerous and fed on humans. Some large footprints in the snow led across our track and away up to higher peaks. They were alleged to be trail of the hairy wild men who believe are believed to live among the eternal snows, along with the mythical white lions who roar, whose roar is reputed to be heard during storms. 
The belief in these creatures is universal among the Tibetans. None, however, of many Tibetans who I have interrogated on the subject could ever give me an authentic case. On the most superficial investigation, it always resolves into something heard tell of. These so-called hairy wild men are evidently the great yellow snow bear, Ursus isabellinus, which is highly carnivorous and often kills yaks. Yet, although most of the Tibetans know this bear sufficiently to give it a wide berth, they live in such an atmosphere of superstition that they're always ready to find an extraordinary or supernatural explanation to common events. Sighting number five, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Howard Burry, 1920. Leader of the 1921 Everest Reconnaissance Expedition, Charles Howard Berry saw something strange that he was crossing the Lakpa La at 21,000 feet. Howard Burry was one of the extraordinary Everesters. He was wealthy and moved easily in high society. He had the most colorful life growing up in the haunted Gothic castle at Charleville County, Offaly, Ireland. Then in 1905, he stained his skin with walnut juice and traveled to Tibet without permission, being ticked off by the Viceroy of India, Lord Curzon, on his return. Tibet must have been crowded with heavily stained Englishmen at the time. He bought a, a bear club, named it Agu, and no, he bought a bear cub, named it Agu, and took it home to Ireland where it grew into a seven-foot adult. So he's familiar with bear prints. Was Howard Burry prone to tell stories of tall tales? Fellow Everster, George Mallory didn't like him much, but thought not. The story he brought back seemed entirely plausible to members of the Alpine Club. He was careful observer of nature and a plant hunter. Howard Burry's diary notes for September 22, 1921 read, we distinguished hare and fox tracks, but one mark, like that of a human foot, was most puzzling. The coolies assured me that it was a track of a wild hairy man, and that these men were occasionally to be found in the wildest, most inaccessible mountains. Later he explained the story. He reported that the party, including Mallory, who also saw the tracks, was camped at 20,000 feet and set off at 4 a.m. in bright moonlight to make their crossing of the pass. On the way, they saw the footprints, which were probably caused by a large loping gray wolf, which is in the soft snow formed double tracks rather than those of a barefooted man. However, the porters at once volunteered that the tracks must be that of the wild man of the snows, to which they gave me the name Meto Kangmi. Sighting number six, William Hugh Knight, 1888. One of the best-known explorers of Tibet, the member of the British Royal Society's Club, said that he had seen one of the wild men from a fairly close distance sometime previously. He hadn't reported it before, but felt that due to the statement about man-like footprints that was made by Howard Bury's party, he was now compelled to add his own evidence to the growing pile. Knight said that the wild man was a little under six feet, almost stark naked, in the bitter cold. It was the month of November. He was kind of pale yellow all over. A shock of matted hair on his head, little hair on his face, and highly splayed feet. A large, formidable hands. 
His muscular development in the arms, thighs, legs, back, and chest was terrific. He had in his hands what seemed to be some form of primitive bow. Sighting number seven, Major Bill Tillman, Northern India, 1937. While contouring round the foot of the ridge between these two feeder glaciers, we saw in the snow tracks of an abominable snowman. They were eight inches in diameter, 18 feet apart, almost circular, without signs of toe or heel. They were three or four days old, so melting must have altered the outline. The most remarkable thing was they were in a straight line, one behind the other, with no stagger left or right, like a bird's spore. A four-footed animal walking slowly puts its hind foot in the track of its forefoot, but there were always some marks of overlapping nor the tracks immediately in front of each other. However many-legged it was, the bird or beast was heavy, and the tracks being nearly a foot deep. We followed them for a mile, then they disappeared up some rock. The tracks came from a glacier pool, where the animal had evidently drunk, and the next day we picked up the same spore on the northern side of the snow lake. Right? The Sherpas judged them to belong to a smaller type of snowman, or yeti, as they call them, in which there are apparently two varieties. The smaller, whose spore we were following, which feeds on men, with a larger brother, confines himself on a diet of yaks. My remark that no one had been here for 30 years, and he must be a devilish hungry, did not amuse the Sherpas, as much as expected. Colonel John Hunt, Everest, 1950s. That afternoon, we paid our first official visit to the monastery at the invitation of the monks. There was a simple ceremony to perform on arrival, the laying of scarves on the thrones of the present abbot as he, a young boy, was away in Tibet, coached in his formality by Tenzing. I also presented the acting abbot our expedition flag. We were briefly shown around the sanctuary, after which a meal was served in the upper room. I questioned him about the Yeti, better known as the Abominable Snowman. The old dignitary at once warmed to the subject, peering out of the windows on the meadow where our tents were pitched. He gave the most graphic description of how a yeti had appeared from surrounding thickets a few years back in winter, when the snow lay on the ground. The beast, loping along sometimes on his hind legs, sometimes on all fours, stood about five feet high and was covered in gray hair, a description which we have heard from other eyewitnesses. Oblivious to his guests, the abbot was reliving a sight imprinted in his memory as they start, stared across the scene at the event. The yeti had stopped to scratch. The old monk gave a good imitation, but went on all fours than he needed to have done at this to make his point. It had picked up snow, played with it, made a few grunts. Again, he made a convincing re rendering. The inhabitants of the monastery had meanwhile worked themselves into a great state of excitement, and introductions were given to drive off an unwelcome visitor. Conch shells were blown, and long traditional horns sounded, and the yeti had ambled away into the bush. Sighting number 10, Don Willems, Nepal, 1970. A colorful climber and Manchester plumber, Don Willems, saw strange footprints near his camp in Annapurna, at their temporary base camp, he found and photographed footprints and later that night watched an ape-like creature about a quarter of a mile away through binoculars in the bright moonlight for 20 minutes. 
Wellens could clearly see a powerful animal bounding on, along on all fours and headed straight up the slope in the absolutely bright moonlight. It looked like an ape. I don't think it was a bear. In the morning, he said, his stash of Mars bars had gone. The next day, he went up to make full reconnaissance to the permanent base camp site, and he took the Sherpas along to gauge their reaction to the tracks. I thought I'd see their reaction at the point where I'd photograph the tracks the next day. The tracks were so obvious that it was impossible not to make any comment, but they walked straight past and didn't indicate that they'd seen them. I'd already said that I'd seen a Yeti, not knowing exactly what it is what it was, but they pretended they didn't understand and ignored what I said. I'm convinced that they believe Yeti does exist, and that is some kind of sacred animal, which is best left alone. If you don't bother it, it won't bother you. All right. What a cool episode of Bigfoot and talking about, you know, cryptids in general is one of my favorite things to do. So this was a really cool episode on Bigfoot and Sasquatch and the Yeti, all coming from like eyewitnesses and stuff like that, which I think is really cool and fascinating. For me personally, I'm still of the opinion that it is possibly a very rare uh, large ape, North American ape that we don't know about or something due to all of the eyewitnesses. That being said, I am looking to do some more spookier episodes in the coming months, such as Jens and Possession, uh, possibly Mirrors and the Dimension that, you know, has Bloody Mary and all that in it, um, possibly some more demonic episodes, and things like that. So stay, stay tuned for future episodes, and hopefully we'll be getting... More spooky, and then less spooky, and then more spooky again. <laughs> but be sure to follow our progress on our Facebook group, where you can join. It's called Paranormal Stories Spooky Shiz. Spooky Shiz is in parentheses in the Facebook group. All right. It's a great way to connect with me and send me any stories from growing up or any spooky stories you know for future episodes. All right. With that being said, thanks for listening today, and stay spooky, my friends.